Patient-centred care is the easiest way to provide the best care possible and to deliver it. We need a healthy dose of partnerships. Improving pathways, opening lines of communication or providing transparency across the continuum. These projects exemplify collaboration and are drastically improving outcomes for their consumers. I guess there is a reason why they say teamwork makes the dream work. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'd like to acknowledge um, the traditional owners of the lands upon which we all meet, the Yuggera and Turrbal peoples. I'd also like to acknowledge any First Nations colleagues who are attending this showcase and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to also acknowledge that voluntary assisted dying and other end-of-life options, people have deeply personal views about this and central to our implementation in Queensland is that we respect all those views and that is how we'll be successful. Today, today Bab and I are going to take you through some of our key components of implementation, um, some learnings we've got from other jurisdictions who've offered or who have voluntary assisted dying and also some um, First Nations and rural and remote access issues we've been thinking about. So what is voluntary assisted dying? Voluntary assisted dying gives people who are suffering and dying and who meet eligibility criteria the option of requesting medical assistance to end their lives. It will be available in Queensland from 1 January 2023. So we've got approximately eight months to go till we start um, voluntary assisted dying. Not sure I'm good at doing two things at once, so just bear with me. Uh, so what we plan to deliver, we have some key work streams we're working on. So we're looking at establishing a statewide pharmacy service in a hospital. So this service will be providing and managing um, the voluntary assisted dying substance for people who wish to access voluntary assisted dying. Um, they'll also provide support to practitioners and patients and their families in relation to voluntary assisted dying. We're looking at setting up a support service. So this service will be nursing and allied health professionals again based in um, a hospital who will provide a statewide service to help patients, families, uh, their carers and also practitioners to navigate the system. And this will be really important, especially initially for such a new program in Queensland. There will be a voluntary assisted dying review board. So um, the department and the minister is in the process at the moment of um, recruiting for that board. Uh, it's likely to start around September, October this year, and its role is to monitor compliance with the legislation, also to do reporting um, to Parliament and look at quality and safety improvements. I'll talk a little bit later about our um, regional, rural and remote equity of access. Um, we're also developing an ICT solution, so throughout the process, practitioners have to upload mandatory um, forms at each stage of the process to the review board um, for compliance. So we're developing an IT system that will um, make it easy for practitioners to comply with legislation and their reporting obligations. Uh, we're working on a voluntary assisted dying regulation at the moment, so this will have particular details about this, the, um, the way the substance is labelled and supplied and disposed of, and also some of those record-keeping requirements of the review board. We're doing a big piece on clinical policy and training, as you can imagine. So for practitioners that will be involved in the scheme, 
they are required to undertake mandatory training. Uh, QUT is developing that training for us at the moment. They developed it for uh, WA in Victoria. It will take approximately eight, possibly ten hours to complete, um, and that um, enables a practitioner to be trained in all the legal requirements under the Act. Uh, we're also looking at developing a much shorter module, so about 30 to 60 minutes, that um, any healthcare worker can access through iLearn. And that will just give people um, information about voluntary assisted dying, their rights, responsibilities um, under the legislation. And we're also undertaking lots and comms and engagement, and we have a huge strategy around that. Um, we've been engaging with um, private health facilities, HHSs, residential aged care facilities, hospices, um, colleges, um, you name it, we've done it, I think, so far. So and we'll continue to do that um, right up until implementation. So moving forward from 1 January, the way um, the system will look um, is that we will have the review board that takes that sort of compliance oversight. Um, Queensland Health will have um, a, a support unit for that review board, so secretariat support and some functions around policy and program reporting. We'll have those two statewide services sitting within a HHS, the pharmacy and support service. And then, of course, there'll be the authorised practitioners to offer voluntary assisted dying. So it's an opt-in model. Um, and I'll talk a little bit in a minute about conscientious objection. But um, practitioners can act as a coordinating, consulting or administering practitioner. Um, and they can provide the service you know, in a variety of paces. It could be public, private, hospital, residential aged care facility, a person's home, a hospice. Um, so I'll just give you a really high-level overview of the Act um, and the eligibility requirements. Um, so there are strict eligibility requirements. So a person has to have an eligible condition. It has to be advanced, progressive and will cause death, is expected to cause death within 12 months, and is causing suffering that the person considers to be intolerable. They have to have decision-making capacity, so this rules out um, certain illnesses, potentially such like as Alzheimer's and dementia, um, and a person can't use an advanced healthcare directive to enable someone else to make that decision for them if they lose capacity. This is the same in um, the other states that have implemented voluntary assisted dying. The person has to be acting voluntarily and without coercion, be at least 18 years of age, and also fulfil residency requirements. Um, so that's a resident of Australia for three years and a resident of Queensland for 12 months, although there will be an ability to seek an exemption if a person has a um, connection to Queensland. Very quick overview of the process. Um, so it is a request and assessment process. So a person makes a request of a medical practitioner for voluntary assisted dying. If that medical practitioner is eligible, they can accept that request and they become that person's coordinating practitioner. So that means they coordinate them throughout the whole process. That coordinating practitioner makes a first assessment against those five eligibility criteria I just mentioned. Um, and if, if the person's assessed as eligible, they're referred to a second doctor. So that second doctor, and if they accept that referral, is called the consulting practitioner. They do a second assessment against those five criteria. Um, and if the person is eligible based on that second assessment, they then have to make a second request in writing, a third, a third and final request of the coordinating practitioner, and then the coordinating practitioner does a final review to make sure everything's in order. 
between that first step and sixth step, uh, it's a minimum of nine days. Uh, that can be um, lessened if um, there's uh, sort of an emergent reason such as a person might lose capacity or may die earlier. After all those steps are completed, the person makes an administration decision. So this is a decision whether they will um, undertake practitioner administration or self-administration. They make that decision in consultation with their coordinating practitioner. They appoint a contact person, so that is someone who uh, the coordinating practitioner and the review board can contact. And if it's a self-administration decision, they have a responsibility to dispose of any unused substance um, after the person dies. Noting that any point in this process, a person is not required to go ahead. Um, the legislation is very clear that at any point they can withdraw from the process. And Bab will speak in a minute about this, that in um, Victoria, particularly the statistics that a number of people have the substance and don't use it. They pass away um, you know, from their underlying condition, but um, there's evidence that they feel a sense of comfort in knowing that they had that option there. Uh, the script is written by the coordinating practitioner. Um, it's sent to that central statewide, sorry, statewide pharmacy, not central pharmacy. Um, and the substance is then supplied by the statewide pharmacy to either the practitioner for practitioner administration or to the person or their contact person or agent for self-administration. If the person chooses to go ahead with administration, that's the next step. And then there's certain death notification requirements to the review board. Um, by a coordinating practitioner and by an uh, administering practitioner if there is one. So the role of healthcare workers, um, there's a number of roles as you can see there. So I'll just touch on a few key highlights. Um, so uh, medical practitioners and nurse practitioners can initiate a conversation about voluntary assisted dying. So this is different to Victoria, but the same as WA. Uh, as long as at the same time they give them um, information about other options and their treatment options. Um, medical practitioners who are eligible and have completed the training um, and can be the coordinating and consulting practitioner, no one else can be those roles. But for the administering practitioner, it can also be a nurse practitioner or an RN. Um, other, other practitioners can be involved in having a referral to determine capacity, voluntariness, that type of thing. Importantly, there's a right to conscientiously object. Um, so all healthcare workers can conscientiously object to any stage of the process. They may wish to be involved in some parts, but not others. Um, and for registered health practitioners and speech pathologists, they have obligations under the Act to then give the person information about someone who can help them or refer them to that uh, statewide support service that I mentioned. I'll hand over to Bav now. He'll take you through some of the learnings from our other states. Thank you. Thanks, Tricia. So you've heard a little bit about the way that we're going to implement and what the legislation requires in Queensland. We've, we've had the benefit of not being the first to um, undertake this and the first to actually um, implement a VAD activity in, in, in Australia. So um, Northern Territory, as some of you might know, um, did implement a VAD uh, a number of years ago, but that was, uh, that was ceased after the Commonwealth changed some legislation. But in more recent times, Victoria uh, has um, been... Uh, does have VAD since about 2019. Uh, WA f uh, followed in, in the last couple of years. 
Uh, and whilst um, we would have been the, the next off the block, we're certainly the next large state, I think Tasmania is going to beat us to implementation by a few months. So they're going later this year. So um, we've had the privilege of visiting Victoria and talking to um, their department, but also clinicians on the ground who've, uh, who've been uh, participating in VAD and providing the services. And this is just a bit of a snapshot onto some of the barriers, some of the, the experiences from both Victoria and, and WA. So in, in the first sort of eight months in, um, in Victoria, um, there was 488 deaths, um, of which 157 were actually um, uh, deaths that didn't occur after the administration of VAD substance. So what we know is that um, uh, a lot of uh, people who are in, the, the, in, in Victoria at six months prognosis or 12 months for certain things, uh, they go through the process, uh, they'll see their uh, coordinating medical practitioners and uh, get to the prescription stage and the supply stage and they'll hold on to the substance uh, because their condition might deteriorate uh, or they just have that added reassurance of having that substance and they can use it if they wish. So what we know uh, from Victoria is about 85% of uh, people who access VAD did so with the primary diagnosis of a malignancy. Um, about 8% were neurodegenerative diseases, and the most common neurodegenerative diseases anecdotally that we know of are motor neuron disease, uh, Huntington's, uh, MS, Alzheimer's, and, and some with Parkinson's. Um, we don't actually know specifically about those 157 people, but that's the experience that has been uh, relayed to us from, uh, from the Victorian uh, team. In contrast, if we look at what, uh, what's happened in WA, so uh, WA uh, has shared their numbers. Again, this is for the, the first eight months or so from the uh, middle of July 2021 till February, uh, early February this year. So the number of first requests that they've had, um, and it's interesting because in WA, first requests, which as Tricia uh, talked to you earlier, is when uh, someone makes an unambiguous uh, request for VAD to a medical practitioner. They've actually recorded those in WA. They don't record those in Victoria. And in the Queensland system, it's not something that's necessarily recorded at a state level. Uh, but in Victoria, we know that it's been just short of 400. Um, and from those 400, it's resulted in 260 uh, first assessments and 125 uh, deaths. Now, uh, the types of conditions here are a little bit different from Victoria. So rather than 85% malignancy or oncology, uh, it's down to about 60%. But the neurodegenerative disease, uh, diseases have, have gone up to nearly 20%. Um, so I guess what this shows us is that we can't really predict to some, to some degree, we can't really predict what's going to happen in Queensland. WA, for example, has a population f uh, that's 40% of, of Victoria's, uh, yet their rates of uh, people accessing VAD and dying from VAD are a little bit higher as well. So what we can do is we can uh, look at that as modelling, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, but who, who undertakes VAD activities? So we have this data from Victoria. It's predominantly GPs who've undertaken the training. Uh, and following on from GPs, uh, we have medical oncologists, uh, and uh, there's some neurologists involved, and a scattering of other specialties. Importantly, in Victoria, you have to be a specialist medical practitioner, which includes GPs, uh, to provide VAD services. So you, uh, if you're not a specialist, you can't undertake services, you can't uh, provide services if you're a nurse uh, or a nurse practitioner. Uh, WA has changed uh, uh, that a little bit. They have nurse practitioners who are uh, eligible. I think there's a, a few nurse practitioners who've done the training um, as, as well in WA. Tasmania will allow RNs to participate in the administration once they are implemented, and so will Queensland. So we're a little bit different uh, from the other states, but that 
difference uh, has been necessitated uh, due to our decentralised nature. So uh, we know that Queensland is the most decentralised state in Australia and to provide services equitably across the state we need to look at our workforce and, and make sure we're using them as, as best we can. Um, so I guess the other uh, key elements uh, to, to pull out of this slide is that um, we know that it's uh, from, certainly from Victoria, uh, anecdotally, that it's not a uh, it's not a patient's usual doctor that is, uh, that is providing that services. So the coordinating medical practitioner in Victoria really needs to have a strong liaison with the, the patient's normal GP. Uh, and transfer of cases between VAD practitioners does, does take place. And that's really to look at how you can better service um, uh, that state. Uh, there's issues around equity in rural and remote areas, and sometimes uh, it's better to have that care transferred for uh, easing the um, uh, access for a patient. This is broadly reflected in what we know from, uh, from WA that's been shared with us. So in, in WA, 102 uh, practitioners have, um, have taken up the training, including two nurse practitioners, uh, and about 60 uh, are actually undertaking the activity. We often ask, get asked about palliative care and how palliative care interplays with uh, voluntary assisted dying. So the data from Victoria suggests that about 80% 80, 80 of people who've, uh, who've uh, uh, applied for uh, for VAD uh, have also been using and accessing um, palliative care uh, and do so at the time that they're actually applying. Um, so I think this really highlights that whilst VAD is not palliative care, they are both end-of-life care options, that they're not, from a consumer perspective at least, mutually exclusive. So they are being used by, by people who want to, uh, who want to access uh, end-of-life services um, more holistically. Um, I think it's important to highlight that both palliative care and VAD do share common goals. Uh, they do have a dedication to best patient care, uh, care that's high quality, well-funded, uh, accessible, um, and uh, also, um, you know, it's inclusive care that's whether or not they choose to access VAD or not. And the importance is really around reducing suffering and providing a good dying experience uh, that's tailored to someone's wants and needs. Um, and what we need to do is ensure that there's continued, coordinated uh, and therapeutic relationships for people towards the end of life, uh, regardless of whether they want to access VAD or not. So I just want to talk briefly about um, practitioners and practitioner uptake. So what we're predicting in Queensland now, this is based on some of the data that we've used from, uh, from Victoria and WA, uh, and um, it's more leaning towards the WA um, rates of, of VAD uptake. What we'd expect is about uh, 1,100 requests for first assessment, uh, and as a result of those, about 440 deaths. Now, they might be more prescription events of self-administration and, and VAD substances, but we'd predict that 440 people will... Uh, either choose to have a practitioner administer their substance or uh, have a, a self-administered substance and, and, and die as a result. Uh, we have done some uh, additional uh, modelling uh, for Queensland based on some overseas data, and what we predict is that about uh, in the first 12 months there'll be about uh, 760 first assessments, uh, and uh, looking at the decentralised mix of where uh, people live in Queensland and the age brackets, uh, we'd expect that about 70 to 75 percent of VAD will be based in the, the broader southeast corner, so that's Sunshine Coast uh, across to Darling Downs and, and down to the border. Um, so that is a large portion 
within that southeast corner, but we are going to have uh, VAD uptake across, uh, across Queensland, and we need to make sure that we can deliver those services regionally and, and into remote areas as well. So how, uh, what are our plans and strategies at the moment? Uh, we need to get a sense check of uh, practitioners in Queensland, what their, uh, their willingness perhaps is to uptake and how we might be able to influence that, that willingness to uptake the training and, and, and provide these services. So we are undertaking a healthcare survey of, of all, all um, Queensland Health as, and also non-Queensland Health uh, uh, clinicians, uh, and this will be coming out uh, shortly. We're just going through the ethics process uh, at the moment. Um, there will be a portal online which allows people who are interested in participating, so that uh, doctors or, or nurses or nurse practitioners who meet the eligibility criteria uh, to apply, uh, express their interest to apply online, and once the process is then open, that they'll, uh, they'll sort of be shepherded through that. Um, we are finalising the eligibility criteria. It needs sign-up from the Director General, uh, and, and that will be done in short course. Um, we're looking at CPD for those who undertake the training and the time that it takes to undertake the training. As Tricia mentioned, it's not going to be uh, a, a very short training process. It is quite detailed and there's a bit of legislation to, to convey across. So um, this will include relevant medical colleges, uh, but also uh, looking at if uh, pharmacists who are involved in the, uh, the pharmacy service around CPD for them for that training as well. Uh, we'll be looking at in-house training day, so this is where we can uh, get practitioners together and have a more uh, collegiate and shared environment for, for learning about and going through the modules, uh, and that will then uh, help them network with their peers as well. Uh, and that's something that we found very useful and uh, uh, a bit of feedback from Victoria and WA, is that having a community of practice is very important. This, this type of activity is going to be undertaken in, you know, in, in, in quite isolated and, and diverse environments, so bringing people together who practice this is going to be vital. We will be having a VAD forum uh, at, towards uh, October as well, uh, and that uh, you'll be all invited to that, and this will be a forum to look at how this can be implemented in your HHSs or in your health facilities and, uh, and how you would like any assistance or networking around um, making that occur. There are some risks uh, involved with the program. I won't dwell on these. We'll give the five-minute warning. Um, but our main risk is around having not enough practitioners to provide a service uh, around Queensland. Uh, and there's also um, the lack of access issues around uh, rural and remote areas. I might hand back to Tricia to talk about some of those issues. Thanks, Bev. Um, we've only got five minutes, so uh, we could talk all day, I'm sure, but um, I'll keep this short. Um, so the next part, I just want to talk about some of the ideas we had around um, rural and remote access. We do have... Um, uh, the Commonwealth's uh, law that prohibits the discussion of uh, suicide by a carriage service, so that's the internet, telephone, telehealth. Uh, this is particularly not, not everything to do with voluntary assisted dying. It's around um, administration of the substance and instruction on that. So we will be providing um, uh, information and guidance to practitioners around that, but it does mean that some conversations has, have to happen face-to-face. -face. Uh, so for equity of access... Um, that, sorry, I'll just skip that one. Uh, we are looking at, as we mentioned, the support service, the pharmacy service, which will travel. Um, the Queensland Law Reform Commission considered um, Queensland's geographic uh, disbursement when it developed the laws that Parliament ultimately adopted. So some of the things that are different from other states are we have the ability for RNs to be administering practitioners. Um, and... Um, uh, 
use of telehealth where possible and the uptake of mandatory training, as Bab mentioned. Uh, we're looking at a, ch a travel scheme for practitioners to travel to patients. Um, that's uh, being yet to be finalised, but um, Victoria and WA have a similar, a similar scheme. And in terms of First Nations engagement, we have a number of subcommittees um, we've established, and we have a First Nations uh, subcommittee uh, that has First Nations consumers and healthcare workers on it. So we're looking at um, meaningful engagement and co-design of education uh, of healthcare workers as well as the materials for consumers. Uh, so, so there's some of the co-design um, uh, ideas we have that we're working through with the subcommittee. If you want to know more, we do have a website there. We send out regular updates um, through, that, uh, through that subscription service. Um, we also have uh, webinars. Um, there's another one coming up on the 18th of May. Um, and we have some information on the website which will be updated shortly. Thank you. Um, I think we have time for a few questions now. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.